I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. We're sisters. And homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast. Where we talk about family-style homeschooling. Hey, welcome to the podcast today. Hi, this is Michelle. And I'm Karen. We're going to talk to you today about the middle grade. So we talk a lot about little kids and we talk quite a bit about high school, but we want to discuss those ages in between, roughly from about 10 years old to 13 years old. Okay, so this is actually my favorite age to teach. Mine too, because for the most part, your kids are reading on their own. They're a little more independent, but you don't have quite the pressure of high school. So you're kind of cruising through yeah, this and, time. And they're also still super excited for the most part to do the hands-on fun projects, the art stuff, the, you know, they'll cut things out with scissors and glue them together and they're excited about it. The high school kids start to be like, oh, that's too babyish for me. You Mine know. still do all the... M- mine will still do it if we're doing it all as a family, you know. But the middle grades ones, it's like you can choose any exploration. Yeah. And they're pretty good to go. That's true. They can do the more thoughtful discussions, but they can also like do the just fun hands-on projects and be really happy. Yeah. And another thing about the middle grades, you don't have to record their grades yet. Unless you're in a state where you have to, your your legal requirements. Yeah, you don't you need it to. on an official transcript. Yeah, for... so it, it's, like I said, it's a little more low-key. Like, you can give them a test, but everyone knows it's just practice. You know, it's not going to really... Well, and the cool thing is, it's practice for them. It's also practice for you. Like, you're starting to teach the higher level stuff without having the whole, I have to get a transcript and I have to get these requirements. And, you know, later on that comes in in high school... In middle school, you usually don't really have to worry about it too much. So it's yeah. kind of easier for you to kind of transition into high school too as the as the teacher. Yeah, it is. But like you were saying, you can have those discussions with kids that you couldn't do when they were, you know, six or seven years old because they have a little bit more life experience. They have read, they've already been through layers of learning once. So they have a good broad base mm-hmm. and they can make connections. When they're little, they can't make connections because there's nothing to connect it to. You know, they're yeah. a blank slate. Everything's new. You know when they're little and you're like, oh, it's hard to even make a timeline because the really little ones don't even quite understand cause and effect and time in that way. And they, they start to as they progress through those lower grades. The middle school ones, they completely get that stuff. Yeah. By, by the time that a kid is about age 10, they can start to understand time. Like mm-hmm. like the, the calendar and going back in time. They have yeah. a better concept of that. Yeah. So I think in all of the grades... The, the middle grades are kind of the golden years for me. It's also the time when you need to be transitioning your kids into being more independent. When they're little, they're sitting there right next to you or on your lap and you're cutting something out together and you're telling them, okay, now glue this in. Like you're giving them step-by-step mm-hmm. instructions on every little thing. But in the middle grades, they can start to do more of it on their own. You can just hand them the sheet and say, follow the directions, yeah. for example. I can also tell my middle grades kids... Like, hey, go look something up or go read this book and find out. I can send them off on their own a little bit yeah, without me having to worry too much about what are they doing and yeah. do they know what they're doing? They can, they can usually write a sentence or a paragraph on their own without, you know, with just a little bit of uh, pre-writing prepping on your part, but you don't have to sit there with them doing every word like you do with little ones. And spell every word for them and... Yeah, you know, check all of that. I mean, stuff. my kids still can't spell, <laughs> but they reach the point where they can like even find out the spelling can, or do their best yeah, spelling, can and you can fix up. it later. You yeah, know? <laughs> the, the really little ones don't even know where to start with right. that, and like, you're basically having to sit there right by their side. Yeah, and which is fun too in its way, 
but it is nice when they get to that age where you're moving them into more independent work. So, but let's talk about moving them through those years so that they're ready for the high school independence. Cause that's a higher level of independence. So it is what very, do you do? it's very, very cool to watch from the beginning of the middle grade years to the end, how different they are as learners. Yeah. There's a massive shift that happens in reading, writing, just critical thinking, all of those things. And part of it just happens naturally because their brain mature, is maturing. Yeah. yeah it, it just kind of happens and you don't really have to worry about all of it, but there are some things that you can actually do to help them along the way. Yeah. So one thing that I think writer's workshop has helped me with is that it gives them just enough direction to get them started, but not so much that you're actually telling them what to write. Like, like you have those pre-writing activities that really are a great jump start that helps them to be able to do the next steps on their own. Yeah. When they're little, you're saying, let's write this sentence kind of a thing, or let's write a sentence about dogs or whatever. But in, in the middle grades, you start to kind of give them prompts, but then expect them to fill in the ideas. Yeah. And, and so it, it helps them become more independent because they're working out the ideas on their own. It helps my kids to talk about it before we write. Everything we write about, we first talk about. I get their ideas. Yeah. I ask them questions. I tell them to tell me more. You know, what are you, what are you thinking about this? Give me some details. So that talking element is a big part during the middle grades to help them get a foundation for their thinking skills. Yeah. And the idea is they're practicing that with you verbally out loud. And then when they're in the high school years, then they can do that all in their own all head. on their own head. Yeah. Like, like you've worked them through it and helped them to verbalize that during their middle school years. And then they learn to do that on their own. Exactly. And one of the really simple things that I do is just ask them their opinion about everything we're learning about. Even if it's, what was your favorite part of that science lesson? I just ask them things all the time. Yeah. Um, but in history, if we're talking about some big event, maybe there's a big happy event or a big atrocious event. Those usually in history, it's the big atrocious events that we study, <laughs> right? <laughs> but ask them their opinion, ask them their thoughts about it, ask them to connect to something that's happening in our world today. You know, I've, I've noticed that because I've done discussions with my kids all the way through, now that they're in high school, they start to bring it up without me having to ask the question. They'll say, oh my gosh, this is like, mm -hmm. and they'll relate it to some other event in history or even current events. They've learned to think that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's what you do in the middle, the middle grades. It's really important to start asking them those questions. And it doesn't have to be super deep. It can just be like, would you rather be an Egyptian pharaoh or a Greek tyrant over a city? And exactly. Because that gives them, they, they have to think about, well, what's the difference and how do these compare and which one would be better for me? Like they start thinking about those things. So Michelle, do you ever prep that? Okay. I don't. I don't either. <laughs> okay. But in layers of learning, we have sidebars with questions. They're deep thoughts questions. And some of them might be over the heads of your younger kids, but middle grades, they probably can handle most of those questions. And if they don't quite get it, you can help them a little with a little extra fill-in information, like background information, if they need it. But those questions, I think, are really, really important to get them to learn to think. And until they learn to think, they can't really write and they can't really read. I mean, they can do the physical act of reading, but they can't read with understanding unless they can make connections. Yeah. So that exercise really helps their brains 
to branch out into. Don't you think though, I've been thinking about this. I think when I started out teaching my kids, I sat there at a loss going, I don't know what to ask them. I don't know how to quiz them yeah. or what to ask them their opinion on or any of it. And I have gotten better at it too. In the way that I said, Hey, kids will get better at it. You will get better at it too. Yeah. And I think the deep thoughts questions actually help me to get better at it. Even if I don't ask that deep thought, it kind of triggers a, yeah. oh, I can ask them this. Yeah, right. So if, you have to be engaged in thinking too. The, the deep thoughts are kind of models for the types of questions to ask. You don't have to ask exactly those. Yeah. Although I often do. Like I'll, I'll just go, oh yeah, that is a good question. And yeah. we'll just talk about it. I do too. But I think the more that we do them, the more I get better. Yeah. At coming up with them, even if I don't have one in front of my face. Especially if, you know, that deep thoughts question isn't something you actually covered in the unit. Instead, you read this book or you learned about this thing. Yeah, but you can see. You oh, can still see. This is similar. And I, you know, to tell the truth, I think that the big book of knowledge does the same thing in a little bit different way. So at the end of each unit, you have the opportunity to make this big book of knowledge sheet for the unit. And you write in there the things that you actually learned. Mm -hmm. And then there's a sidebar at that very end on those last two pages that has uh, questions that you can ask, kind of like quiz questions. Mm -hmm. And those, again, are a model for the types of questions that you could ask from your big book of knowledge. You may not have learned those exact facts, but it doesn't matter. You can do a similar thing with what you did learn. Right, exactly. And that's, that's the point of them. It's not that you should be asking those exact questions necessarily, it's just that here's a model for how to ask the kinds of questions. And as you do it, you'll get better and better at it and need those helps less and less. Yeah. Yeah. As far as writing also, one of the awesome things that happens in the middle grades years, they can start to really do narrations. And you don't even have to always have a question or know what to quiz them on. You can just ask them to write a narration about what they learned. And that's basically really good practice for what they're going to be doing later with essays and reports in high school. Yeah. It's like a miniature report. And you're just saying, it. it's very much like a short answer, except yeah. you don't even have to have the question. You're just saying, write about what you learned. Right. That is the question. So you read the encyclopedia page or you watch the video and then they write what they learned about it. And it yeah. can just be, you know, it depends on how much you want them to write, but you know, just a paragraph, three to five sentences. It makes them accountable for the information and they're practicing recalling and writing and all those skills that they're going to need in high school in a very short, simple format. Do you still read to your kids, read aloud once they get older? All the way through high school. Yeah, we do too. I mean, when my college kids come home, they still like join in on the read alouds. It's just something we've always done as a family. One thing I like about the read alouds is that you're all doing it together. So you can have a discussion about the book. And sometimes that happens. I mean, it happens spontaneously for us all the time. Like at the, after, at the end of a chapter, my son will go, oh my gosh, this was just like, mm -hmm. and we start talking about it. Or he'll be like, I can't believe that character did that. And we start talking about it. And then other times it'll be pop up during dinner or while we're listening to another book in the car or something. And so because we've all experienced the same book together, we can discuss it. And that starts to happen in the middle grades. Kids don't pop up with discussions when they're little. They no. just absorb it, you know. The, the closest that my kids got when they were little was pointing out things in the pictures mostly. You know, right. like they would see something like that. But it was more visual. It wasn't deep, thoughtful things. They didn't make connections. Right. And in the middle grades, they start to do that. And if you've read the book together, then you can talk about it together. Exactly. 
And it's cool when you see that happen across the nonfiction books that you read too. Yeah. Now, we recently read one about Gregor Mendel and his pea experiments. Oh, yeah. As we were learning about DNA and everything. And it's been fun to see my kids. I mean, we were outside for science in that same unit, drawing flowers and diagramming, you know, the parts yeah. and everything. But I, I think it was my youngest daughter. She said, we're like Gregor Mendel. <laughs> you know, we had read this book together and then she made this little connection. But it's fun to see how when you do things together in this style, the dialogue becomes about that and they make the connections and then you turn it into writing or diagramming or, you know, you turn it into more of the written assignments. And those are the middle grades skills. It's, right. So I feel like in the middle grades, you're really honing reading, writing, thinking. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's what you're doing because you're teaching them, you're scaffolding them, you're helping them, but they're doing more and more of it on their own so that by the time they're around 14 or 15, they're really independent and they can sit there. You can just say, I want you to write own. an essay about, and this is the topic and mm-hmm. they can just do it. I think that's one of the differences in high school. A lot more of it is me just completely sending my kids off. Like here's your topic and your assignment and they just kind of do it in the middle grades. I'm still supplying more of the information and then we're talking about it and then they reproduce it. So it's like a hand holding into the later, you'll be doing this all on your own. Yeah. But that's kind of where the family school magic happens is, you know, you're part of it and they're watching you do it and they're learning that process. I, I think it is too. I Years ago, one of my sons was writing, we, we were doing the fiction unit for writer's workshop. Mm-hmm. And he was writing a story and he had this magic system in the story, right? And so he w- he got stuck though. And so the whole family, we were all sitting there. We did this big brainstorming session on his magic system. And it was all written up on our chalkboard. And we'd all, like we all got in there together and we're helping him come up with his magic system and how it would work. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. <laughs> so, and he was about, I want to say around 12 or 13 when he was writing that. Yeah. So it's basically... They're starting to be able to be independent, but they're better when they learn from others. Oh, this is what it looks like to come up with ideas. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. plus I bet he was super excited about it because everybody was interested in what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of fun still for them at that age to have an audience. For most kids, they kind of want to, it's interesting. At the beginning of the middle grades, they really want an audience. By the end, they're starting to get into the whole, I want to be more independent. You know, yeah. like they, as they grow in their skills of independence, they also want more independence. So people sometimes think of that as a bad thing. They look at teenagers and they go, oh, they're acting like a teenager. They're, they're being all independently grumpy, you know, <laughs> but, but they're you know supposed how, to be, but, but they're supposed to be, they're yeah. learning it. Can you imagine if they were completely reliant on you and then you just kicked them out and they were on their own? <laughs> like they wouldn't be able to, like they're supposed to draw away and be yeah, they're more, learning yeah. independence and that's a good thing. But it's interesting how the middle grades prepare them for that level of independence where they're doing things on their own. They're, they change a lot during that time. So Karen, talk about planners and how you use, use those to help them in the middle grades to become more independent. That is definitely something that changes for us. One of the big changes from the younger grades to the middle grades, I write everything in the planners of my little kids. Like, I write in their assignments. I write everything. I Half the time I'm with them going, oh, put the little sticker on or check it off. You know, yeah, I'm right, right there with them. But by the middle grades, I say, okay, guys, this is the unit we're doing. Write it in your planner. 
okay, this is your assignment, write it in your planner. And they start to write the things. So that you're teaching them they're responsible for their schedule. Yeah. yeah. So I have one daughter who's in college this year and um, this is her first year of community college. She's 16. And in her science class, she has a biology teacher and she's a great teacher. But this biology teacher, in the very first week of school, she said, for lab this week, you have to turn in your planner for the semester. I want to see your planner. Oh, wow. And she had to write in every assignment in all of her classes that was laid out and, and when her study times would be. And her professor checked this over. And I was like, okay, no university would do that. This is a community college. Yeah, yeah, this is a professor who's going, okay. These kids haven't learned this yet. They yeah. need to learn how to manage their time and put things in their planner. And that's kind of what I do in middle grades yeah. with my kids. It's like, nope, I'm going to teach you how to put things in your planner and manage your time and make sure that you got everything turned in. You know, I don't think I was taught that in school. Not specifically, but we didn't, I didn't have a teacher who had us do that. But in high school, I kept my own planner with my own assignments because it got complicated. You know, you yeah. had a lot of different classes to keep track of. But I don't remember that being taught in school. But I think that's why it's kind of a middle grades time. It's different in homeschool because we're all in one room. Right. But it's a skill that they need because, you know, when you're in elementary school, in public school, elementary school, and you have one teacher and then you you might go to PE, you might go to music class, but you have one teacher. Yeah. And then in middle school, all of a sudden you might have six or eight teachers. And right. Some schools have A days and B days and, you know, your schedule gets more complex. Well, in homeschool, we kind of glaze over that and we don't think about it, but they still need those multitasking skills because they're going to have to do that in life, whether it's a job or college or whatever they're doing. Yeah. Keeping, having a family. Keeping their house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> having a family. You need those skills of, of planning and keeping track of things and multitasking. And so I kind of have my kids do that, even though they don't need it in our one room classroom, I, I still make sure they learn how to do it. I have a son who is going to come over in a couple of weeks and help me with a project and he gets out his phone and starts putting it in his calendar I was like oh my gosh you use a calendar <laughs> I was shocked way to go <laughs> he's like an adult yeah he's and an adult <laughs> but but I was shocked I was like I didn't know you knew how <laughs> see we have so. a shared google family calendar yeah so like all of my kids have their own color in my phone and so anything that they add to the calendar, I can see it too. So if they have, you know, a sports practice that changed or whatever, I expect them to put it in the calendar and then it appears in mine and my calendar appears in theirs. You know, when they see mine, they actually see more because they see like our combined layers of learning calendar Yeah, <laughs> only in mine, but not in theirs. But not in theirs. You know? Yeah. So it's kind of cool how you can, you can teach that with a simple school planner, but it's gotten to the point where we can teach that with, you know, real life Phone calendars too. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as your kids have phones, but my my boys are just not very good about I don't know communicating or keeping track of their schedules. I mean, they handle their lives. They they only have to worry about themselves. So like they can keep it in their heads. I think that's what they're doing most of the time. But yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, you use a calendar, and he goes sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, he knows how. And yeah, that's he, the knows how. Thing. he knows how. He knows how. What about you with planners in school? Like, do you? Do anything different with your middle grades, kids? I'm a lazy mom. <laughs> I'm such a planner. Like, I overplan everything, so I probably make my kids I, do that, too. I plan for myself, but what, what we do in school is we just have a pattern. Like, okay, we're going to do reading first, then math, and this, and then that. And everything just goes in order. I don't actually use a planner, and the kids don't for homeschool. 
I, I, like I don't I said, know I'm a how. bad mom because I'm not teaching them to use a planner. I don't even know how I could even get through our week without it. Like, I think it's just my personality. <laughs> but everything I do has to go on paper before it happens. I don't it know It gives why. me extra stress. I mean, I used to do it that way. I think when I had more kids and they were little ones, I needed it more. But I just, I just go on to the next thing now. I don't worry about being on a schedule. I think you do have less of a... Um... Like we're out and about more. We our family has more stuff going on. Yeah, than and like your family. we used to. We used yeah. to have a lot of stuff going on, and I had to keep track of things much more carefully. But now I'm like, I, the the boys are in scouts, but they're not doing sports anymore. And Garrett has a job, but he but handles he gets that. There, yeah. yeah, and so I just, you know, they're old enough to manage their own yeah. schedule. And so yeah, I, my my youngest is 15 now. Yeah. So yeah. So they can manage their own uh-huh. stuff. Yeah. See, for me, the stress is when I haven't gotten it down on paper. Once it's on paper, I'm like, all right, breathe easy. We can do this. We yeah. Can, we can do all the things. But I can see a future where it's like, oh, that will come where I only have to worry about me. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, as far as homeschool goes, I like, for example, in the math, my kids just move on to the next lesson when they finish that one. And sometimes it takes them more than one day to finish a lesson. Sometimes it is only one day. It just depends. We do it very relaxed. Like, mm-hmm. when you get done, you get done. And, like, I don't assign a number of chapters for them to read in the book. Or they just, when they get done, they get done. It's, like, time-based. Yeah. Like, this is like, how much time. Like, we set a timer for, I think we're doing 30 minutes right now for independent reading. They read on their own at other times. But during school, yeah. we do 30 minutes. And then, as far as, like, the layers of learning stuff, I do plan that. Sort of. <laughs> After this many years, you don't really have to anymore. I, I just kind of, yeah, I just kind of open up and go, oh, look, let's do that. But usually I will look at it at the beginning of the month and kind of pick out, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do in geography. These are the four lessons I'm going to do because we're doing one per week, you know? Yeah. So I have it in my head and I've got it marked on my plan, on my, in my book, but I don't actually yeah. like put it in a planner. I just do it. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're way like probably overplanned, but my overplanning actually takes my stress away. Okay, but you do a better job of training your children to manage their own time than I do. My kids have always been super involved. And so if I, like, I would have to manage them entirely if yeah. they didn't. Like, so I just have to, I have to have it that way for my peace of mind. But when it comes to school stuff, one of the things about planners that I have taught my kids is there's a difference between what you have to get done and what you hope to get done. Like often we write in our planners everything that we hope to get done. But if like one of the things that I have done with them is if we choose not to do it that day, I just go and check it off for them. Like I'll either initial it or just like, no, mom, check that off. You don't have to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Crossed out. We don't overstress about it. I used to stress more about it. And now I'm like, no, that was what we hoped to get done. That's not a have to. And so planners don't have to be like stressful and difficult. For me, it's just, hey, if I have this all out, my mind can let go of it and I don't have to worry about it. It's all there whenever we're ready for it. One thing I did train my kids in the middle grades as far as schedules goes is that when they are done and everyone else isn't, because we do family school, we're doing it, mm-hmm. like everyone's doing math at the same time, right? So if 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 one child gets done with math sooner than the others, I trained them what to do with their free time. You know, like, yeah. like don't bug mom. That's the number one rule. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> or because I'm because I'm working with this other little one. Yeah, don't you know. interrupt. Don't interrupt. Yeah. yeah. So I trained them, you know, what to do with their time. Sometimes it was read a book. Sometimes it was, hey, go outside for a little while. You need a break, you know. Mm -hmm. But I trained them what to do. Yeah, we used to have a list on our wall. Now my kids don't need it because they just know what to do. Right. But we used to have a list like, here are the things that you can do if you finish. You know? And the workbooks that we used to have when they were little were more for that than because yeah. I cared what they learned. Well, it was just I needed them to have something to keep themselves busy at. You you do start training them on that when they're you know when they're six when they're mm -hmm. first starting first grade, you start training them on that. But I don't think that you can really fully expect it until they're around nine or ten. Yeah. Then then you can be like, okay, you will not interrupt me. You know, like this is not an acceptable behavior yeah. at at that point. It's like, okay, you now are mature enough to handle this free time without wrecking yeah. everyone else's school. <laughs> so, don't you think it also helps that in the middle grades? That's when my kids start to be able to use a computer yeah, independently. There's so, a lot of things they can do to fill in that free time. Yeah, there's a world of knowledge out there. If you have good websites that they're allowed to go to, and we just have them all bookmarked on their individual computers so they know this is where you're allowed to go. Right. And you can go and learn about some animals on National Geographic's website or, you know. Or play a geography game on Shepherd Software. Yeah, or yeah. practice your spelling on our spelling thing. Or, hey, do a typing lesson. Right. You know, they can do those things. And they're pretty happy on the computer. You know, if yeah. they get computer time, they're like, ooh, it's like screen time. But yeah. it's. And we used to have this. I don't remember where it is anymore. But there was a video game where it had monsters. But you're doing math. Like, you're practicing math facts. Yeah. And my kids loved that. Like, it was a video game, and you earned points and they levels. It, and They were thinking, like, it's a game, and you're going, did math. they're doing math yeah. facts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's one of the things that is great about the middle grade years. Is they do become more independent because partly they've been trained, and you can trust them to do some things on their own. Also, they can, like, do a writing assignment more on their own without you just sitting there. So it gives them some independence at those higher skills. Yeah. You know the six traits of writing uh -huh. that you talk about in Writer's Workshop a lot? Do you use those with little kids, or does that kind of enter in and around when they're in the middle grades? I mean, do they understand that when they're little? I mean, I don't use them in those words when they're little. I will give them little suggestions like, hey, you wrote three really short sentences in a row. How about we combine two of those and make them longer? That's sentence fluency. That's right. what that is. But I don't say, you need to improve your sentence fluency. Well, see, that's what I'm wondering. Like, you know, the the rubric and the grading and stuff, does that start in the middle grades? Is that when you begin giving them that? Yeah, in my mind, it's always there because I just, yeah, I know But they it. don't but see it. And yeah, they don't. they don't really see it until later. It's until kids are writing a paragraph, there's not much room for anything except practicing the handwriting and the spelling and the basic conventions and... Well, it seems like they wouldn't even understand to me if you tried to tell them. The truth your is sentence that fluency needs to improve, you know. When they're little, what you're trying to do is take away those extra things they're thinking about because they're thinking about too much. They're having to already work on handwriting and physical letter formation yeah. and the spelling and building of words and ideas and sentences. And like even asking them to capitalize each sentence and put a period at the end is an extra thing that they're having to keep in their minds. And you're trying to take things off of their plate when they're little. You don't start adding them in until they're really comfortable with those basic skills. So I wouldn't be... So that'd be the middle grade, somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah. Okay. And that's actually, when I was learning those concepts, I learned them in junior high from one of my awesome 
English teachers taught us the we six had, traits of we writing. We had an English teacher that was mean and she would swear at us. <laughs> That's all you remember from <laughs> That's that all class? I, remember. <laughs> I had yeah. I had a couple of really awesome English teachers, which is actually why I think I love writing. Like they made me love writing because of the way they taught it. Yeah. But one of them, she is the one who taught me the six traits of writing. And it's not like she invented it, it's a thing. Right. But um she used to have us read passages all the time and then say, okay, evaluate them. And we would evaluate them based on the six traits of writing that she had up on the overhead projector. And we just practiced that. But yeah, that was, that's more middle grades thinking. And different kids are going to develop skills at different rates. Yeah. But I wouldn't be dumping all of that on a little one necessarily. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what, a good point. Okay. Well, what, what about, that. what about with um, spelling word work? How does that change in the middle grades? Uh, as my kids get comfortable spelling most things. I mean, the truth is that even as adults, we look up how to spell words sometimes, right? Yeah. So we don't know all of the words. No one does. But when they start to be able to write and especially type without thinking about it that much, we kind of transition from the basics to, hey, let's learn I think of it as SAT words. So like like Latin roots and bigger words. Latin and... roots and the bigger words that when you break down, you go, oh, what does this really mean? You know? Right. Um, but every kid is going to be different. There are going to be high schoolers who still need the basic word work lists and they need to go, oh, goodness, I'm not a strong speller and I still need to work on this. And that's totally fine. I know a lot of adults who can't spell at all. Like cannot spell yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah. And, you know... Everybody's going to be in a different place. But yeah, when your kids are ready, and that's usually sometime in middle school, you start to focus on more the meanings of words instead of just the spelling. And that's where the word roots and those bigger words come in is let's learn about actually what words mean. What's the difference between house and home? They know how to spell house. They know how to spell home. But what's the difference? Right. They can start to learn about denotation and connotation. Well, and that's also a writing skill. It's not just a, you know, yeah. like it's... Yeah, picking the right word. And, yeah, I word, know what you're word saying. Word work is just like part of your toolbox for writing. Yeah. And so yeah. when you start to think about words in that way, it's not just about spelling words. Word work is actually, hey, how do we use words to be strong writers? If a kid gets all the way through word work, but they don't know how to use a thesaurus, either online or a, a book version, then they need to. That's kind of the next step in word work is how do we use words that are the best word for this moment that I'm writing about? So I kind of changed to that. It's not just, oh, how do I spell this word? Let's right. practice with a beanbag. It becomes, what are the powerful words that I can use? What's a persuasive word that I can use here? What does this word really mean? Yeah. And, and part of that's what we were talking about before, the discussion that happens yeah. out loud stuff. Okay. So for me, I think that when kids are little, you really can't have those deep discussions. We've already talked about that. Yeah. But like that comes into history because you can start making connections between current events and things that happened in history. I start to have my kids watch news when they're in about the middle grades. Like we, we watch a, a news show that's made for kids. It's, mm -hmm. it's for students and it's, it's basically geared to junior high and high school. So it's those middle grades and up, right? Yeah. That's who it's for. And because we're watching that, we've watched that in the morning during our morning meeting. And then we've got our history stuff. And 
my kids will make connections all the time. Usually they make a connection while we're watching the current events. They'll be like, oh my gosh, that's just like Nero. Or, yeah. you know, like they'll say something like that. Which is the entire point of which, studying which history. Which is the whole point, yeah. Yeah, without connections, people hate history. They go, I do not know why we're learning all this boring, dry history stuff. Yeah. It's only when they start to make connections that it matters. And that's when you start doing it is in the middle grades. You start having them pay attention to current events and you start having discussions about things. Mm-hmm. Because before that, they're too little. They're just making cute crafts and learning lots of information. But in the middle grades, you're hitting the... Well... You can ask the questions. And the truth is that the cute crafts are important. No, they are important. Because that's what allows them later to make connections. Right. You have to have the information. You have to have the basics in order to make connections. But they're not learning why it matters when they're little because they're not ready to. They yeah. Don't have the, they don't have the mental maturity yet. Yeah. But it's fun to watch as your kids develop that because... <laughs> the fun thing for me is that all of a sudden the conversations that I have with them are real. I'm not just talking to little kids at, at their level. Yeah. You know, I, I love my little kids. I love that. But I remember when my husband would come home, he travels for work. So when he'd come home at the end of the week, I'd be like, I need an adult conversation. Please just talk to me. <laughs> I was going crazy because I loved that age of having little tiny kids, but I was always talking on their level Middle grades is when they start to have a conversation that's actually meaningful with you. That yeah. Ca it's causing me to think too. Yeah. And I'm you going, can start, oh. you can start playing devil's advocate. I love that. Oh, that's fun. I love doing that to my kids because, because it makes them have to defend their position. They can't just, they can't just have an opinion. They have to defend it. You're like, well, but what if <laughs> my kids will sometimes stop me and be like, mom, just tell us what you believe already. <laughs> Sorry, I can't do that. Uh, I don't believe anything. I'm a blank slate. Teach me. Yeah. <laughs> I love it when my kids can't tell what I believe. And usually they kind of know because after a while... Well, and they know you. Yeah, they know me and they know how I live my life. But it's fun to make them have to actually think through their ideas and defend their ideas and connect their ideas with things. Yeah. What about um, geography, Michelle? Well, we do a lot more memorization. When my kids are little... They can memorize stuff, but they're not really very good at it. Like, they're not going to learn all 50 states yeah. and capitals when they're six or seven. Yeah. So we do a lot of map memorization, and we also start... It's just like history. You can start having discussions about, well, this culture does this, and this culture does that. Which one do you think is better, or does it matter? You know, like, we start to have these kinds of discussions about things. Yeah. I think it's interesting how... We all live so much in our own lives that it's hard for us to even see what another life would be like. You know, yeah. what would it be like if you lived in this place? Yeah. What if you'd been born in Kenya? Yeah. Or, yeah. How would your life actually be different? And it's not that... I can't say it's not that it matters. It's not that it matters in the way that history matters. It's not like we're making a connection so that we don't repeat a mistake. Right. It's so that we can see beyond our own eyes. Like right. We can connect with the world in different ways and recognize our uniqueness and our differences and how they kind of build the whole planet. Well, and I think it matters now more than it ever has before because we're so interconnected with modern communication and modern travel. Yeah. Like you can get around the world in a few hours, you know, like. That's incredible. Oh, and you can and, talk to people from all over the world. And live. it means that like 200 years ago, the United States did not have relations with China, more or less. I mean, there was a little bit there, but you know, it didn't really matter. But now it's like, it, it's so interconnected. Like you can't just ignore Ecuador 
you know, you, you have to be, you have to know about their culture. You have to be able to make connections. You have to be able to talk to people. Like all of this matters. Well, and even when it comes to, like you were talking about watching the news with your kids, the culture, when you really understand the underlying patterns of culture and what makes that group of people who they are. Yeah. It actually directs the history. Or I'll, I'll tell you a, a little story. We were watching one of those news shows and it, it was focusing on someone who was doing an, some kind of environmental project in a third world country. Mm-hmm. Okay. And my son was like, what are they doing? These people care about getting food. They don't care about having this, you know, monarch butterfly population or whatever. I don't remember what it was, yeah. but you know, like, like. That's the least of their concerns. Right. It's the least of their concerns. Like, like we're taking these first world things that we think are so vital and sticking them in the third world and thinking they should care about it. And it's like, that's not how it's going to work. And my son made that connection. He realized this is ridiculous because he has learned enough about other places in the world and what it's really like there. And he can see beyond his own perspective and put himself in their position. Like, how would I feel? Like, am I going to care about this endangered animal or am I going to care about getting enough food for my family? You know, you know, just, I think it was yesterday. I read an article that was, was a very, very old article. This wasn't modernly written. It was a primary source from long ago, but it was talking all about how slavery was such an important institution in America because it brought the slaves religion and morality and all of these things. Oh, yeah. They completely <laughs> glazed over the abuses. Right. And the, you know, and, and you read this article and it was pre-Civil War. So it was kind of saying... It was justified. Maintain slavery, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's so interesting to look at it because they were saying their lives are so much better being slaves in America than they would be as a normal African citizen living in Africa. And now we look at it and that that's ridiculous. But, it was well, just, even if that's true, that's not a justification, right? Yeah, like, like <laughs> no, yeah. but it was interesting to read this primary source and it makes you kind of pause and look at our things that we're saying today and go, Wait a second. We're probably wrong about just as many things as they were. Yeah, we're they weren't a, dumb. They just were in this bubble. We're doing that right now with technology. Yeah. We believe that everyone in the world would be better with an internet connection. Yeah. Because we can't imagine life without it. And maybe that's not actually true. There was know? there was a missionary, I don't remember which uh, church he was representing, but it was, it was Christian. And he went to the Adaman Islands, which are owned by India, but not actually governed by India because the people who live on them are tribal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're they're Stone Age tribal people, and he wanted to go and preach Christianity to them. And he had been told, "Don't go there; they will kill you." <laughs> and he went there, and he got killed because he's thinking, "How could they reject this wonderful modern life? Of course they want it, and you know they did not want it." Now, of course, we could impose whatever we want on them. Their Stone Age technology cannot cope with whatever yeah. we could bring. Like we by force, force we could do whatever we want. But but you know, we've chosen not to. We've chosen to leave those people alone. You know. India has chosen to leave those people alone. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like, if you don't have this perspective about different places in the world and that... They know, have value. Your, yeah, right. Your, your way your of values. doing things isn't necessarily better. Like, some things are better than other things. I'm not saying all cultures or all aspects of all cultures are equal. But I'm saying that you need to respect what other people are doing and what they're thinking. And you don't need to give them what you think is right. Like... Because it's good for you doesn't necessarily mean it's good for them. Well, and we kind of often stand from a position of we don't even make an effort to understand other cultures. Geography is not even taught no, in most it's not. public schools. 
And so it's really valuable to give your kids the gift of geography knowledge. Yeah. That concept of, hey, you are not alone in the world. There well, are other people with different values and different lives. There's, there's a dark joke that Americans don't know where anything is until we've bombed it. Oh, and, that's so sad. <laughs> it's true, though. Like, like, I remember in the 1990s, no one knew where Iraq was until we went to war there. Yeah. You know, I remember that. And, and I remember, like, I don't think anyone knew where Ukraine was until the Ukraine war started and we got started getting involved in it. We're not directly involved, but we are. We are, yeah. And And it was, you know, in the news. But, you know, there's a war happening in um, Azerbaijan mm-hmm. right now. And it's not in the news, so Americans still don't know where that is. You know, it's like we only care if we're involved directly, and it's, and that's not how it should be. Well, and the like, problem is that when we get involved directly, we still don't even bother to examine the culture. Right. And their, their People still their don't know what anything about Ukraine, except that there's a war there. Yeah, right? they still impose their life on that region yeah. and go, it must be just like me. Yeah. But without even thinking that through. But yeah. geography is a powerful tool when you're teaching your kids about other cultures and you actually compare them with your own and take a look at those things. Those are the awesome discussions of the middle grade years. Yeah. I think that that's when kids can first start to understand that concept. Just like they can't understand time until they're a little bit older. They can't understand space either. They can't understand a country on the other side of the world or a culture that's so different. Like they just don't have the capacity to conceptualize that when they're little, but in the middle grades, that's when you're introducing all of that to them really. Yeah, it's not really different than us saying we can't imagine what it would be like to live in a different solar system. We've never experienced it, and it's bigger than us. You know, we can't quite figure it out. Um, We can't imagine, we sort of imagine time travel because of our TV shows and movies, but not really. We can't really grasp it because it's beyond our capability. Little ones can't really grasp anything beyond what they can see. Yeah. But in those middle grade years, they start to be able to go beyond themselves and then... In high school, it's even more so, but... Well, and and science, you can do the same thing. Like, when they're little, they're doing recipes. And to tell the truth, clear through high school, even in college, you're doing recipes in science. You know, like, you're following the exact directions to get a predetermined outcome. Yeah, you're not doing a new experiment that no one's ever done. But (laughs) layers of learning is written so that those opportunities for actual experimentation actually happen. And that's when you should start introducing those in the middle grade years. Little tiny kids aren't ready for most of that. Um, there are little projects in layers of learning that are perfect for little kids, but, but But the ones where they're actually designing the experiment themselves, they're not ready for that until they're in the middle grades. Yeah. And the way that these experiments are set up, it's awesome because it is one of those stepping stones. It's like, we actually know what's going to happen. It's been experimented on before, right? but you're not giving them the answers to that. They've got to discover it. Exactly. They've got to do the experiment. They they design their own experiment to find out what happens when you give plants different amounts of water, for example. And of course, yeah, we, we know that it's like, it's it's known, but they don't know it and they're actually getting to design it. They're practicing designing real experiments. Yeah. And And that's the middle grades. And thinking through them and then having to explain them and then write them up. Like that's the middle grades process. Mm -hmm. That's, that's exactly it. What about art, Michelle? Is art just, uh, an art project for you guys? I, my favorite part of art is discussing art. That's mine too. So I'm more of an art historian than a practical. Right. (laughs) We do the projects and I have one son in particular that loves the projects, but for the middle grades, I think that's when you can first look at a painting or a sculpture and compare it to 
one from a different time period, for example, or you can talk about, well, what, what's the deeper meaning behind this? Why would the artist have done this? Or what was the historical context that made this painting right. even happen? Right. And that's, that's, you can start doing that in the middle grades. And of course, once they're in high school, then they're even deeper, but you can start introducing that kind of thinking in the middle grades. Yeah. Again, I think that without something to guide me, I would sit there and look at a painting of the Mona Lisa and be like, okay, so what do we talk about guys? Yeah. You know, that's nice. <laughs> so it's helpful when you can, I mean, layers of learning has things within it that get you started talking about those things. There are several great online resources. Art is really hard to find books about. Yeah. It's it really, is. really hard. But it's also fun that the art units and the history units, if you're using layers of learning in order the way it's written, they go together. And so you can right. make those connections between this is what was happening in the world and this was what artists were producing because of what was happening in the world. It's interesting to watch. Do you have your kids start to choose electives in the middle grades? Like they get to decide, for example, if they want to learn a certain language or... Yeah, that's the first time that they really do that. The only exception to that is I do let my kids, my younger kids, some of them choose to learn to play the piano or learn to take a dance class or something. Or do a they, sport. Yeah. yeah. In our homeschool, they start to get interested in things. I encourage them to get interested in things. And it's sometimes silly things, you know. I want to learn whittling with knives. I want to learn, you know. <laughs> yeah. They do random things, but I basically make time and space in our day for it and also make sure they have the supplies that they need. I have them do that mostly independently. I don't have time for it. Right, right. And it's so only if they them. want to do whittling, you'll give them the knives and the the block of wood and the book, but then it's on them. Then they got to do it. Yeah. yeah. And I and I make sure, "Oh, you have time in your day to do this. Like this is our time." I think for for the middle grades actually giving them time is one of the most important things. Yeah. That they need enough time to finish the math lesson. They need enough time to finish the writing assignment. They need enough time to get through their book or to do their projects. Like rushing them is going to be detrimental, I think. The hard thing about that is that you often have little ones too. And the yeah. little ones are busting through stuff faster. Like, I'm done with math. But <laughs> yeah. the middle grades one's like, I, you had eight problems. Yeah. I have 40. You <laughs> know, in Saxon. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's like, no. And so it can be tough. Luckily, as they become a little bit more independent, you can kind of entertain the little ones or get them doing other things while the big ones. My middle grades kids still need me there helping them. Yeah, yeah. They need oh, yeah. that. But I can help them and then say, okay, you try these two problems and I'll come back and check with you. You know, and yeah. It's a little bit of a juggling act. I, I, one thing I do to give my kids enough time is, okay, we'll come back to it tomorrow. Like you don't have to finish the lesson today. Or if they're working on a project for history and I think that they can get it done in one day. And then I'm like, okay, we're not going to get that done in one that day. Didn't happen. Then, then we, I give them time. We have another day where we do it. I don't like, oh, I don't put it aside or make them bust through it or, you know, yeah, I give them time. Yeah. That's kind of sometimes what my crossing things off in the planner is too. It's like, you know what? These things didn't pan out. Don't worry about it. Yeah. We'll we'll get to that, but I want you to have time to finish what yeah, you're doing. I, I would rather have them do one project well than hurry through three or four projects. Exactly. Yeah. And I love that in these middle grades, what we have been talking about, 
the discussion, the more writing, those things, they take more time. Yeah. And so you have to kind of go, okay, what's what's the trade-off? Well, it's so, worth it. Some days my kids will have a writing assignment and they will have written nothing. But, and I'm like, how come you didn't write anything? Well, I was thinking, I was planning. Okay, that's good. That, that That's fine. That, that counts as your writing date. Like, we'll do this same project again tomorrow so that you have more time. That That's what I yeah. do with them. Yeah. It's not that we're not going to do it. It's that yeah. we're going to do it well. <laughs> we're going to take our time and do it well. And don't stress about it. So, Michelle, one of the things that I'm asked a lot about middle grades stuff, and especially, I mean, this happens in high school too, but beginning in the middle grades, people always start to ask us, is layers of learning accredited? Is that an accredited curriculum? Because they want to use it on transcripts or yeah, or for their charter school or whatever it is. Yeah, because now, even in the middle grades, certain states and institutions provide credits. And there's a misunderstanding that happens among people, and I just want to make sure we straighten it out a little bit. It's never a curriculum that is accredited. Right. It's an institution. So if Michelle and I were teaching your kids and we were, you a know, school. a school, if we were directly responsible for that and we were writing their transcripts, we would need to be accredited for that to matter. Now, there are a lot of schools that aren't accredited. There are even colleges that aren't accredited. Yeah. It's, hey, you can come and learn, but you're not actually getting official credit for it. There are no curriculums that are accredited. That's not, that's not a thing. It's not a yeah. thing. It doesn't exist. So as far as you using layers of learning, the answer is if you're a mom or dad or grandma, you know, using layers of learning, you are probably not accredited. You probably have not gone through that yeah, process. But you might be part of a charter school that allows you to. Yes. If you're part of an umbrella school or a charter school or a, some private schools even use layers of learning. Yeah. They're used by public schools too. You know, they use layers of learning in public schools. And yeah. Those are accredited institutions that use it. So is it an approved curriculum for school systems? Yes. Is it accredited? No. That's the wrong word. We can't use accredited for any curriculum material. So if you have an eighth grader doing high school level work, you can count it on a transcript if you want to, but that's not our decision. We have nothing to do with that. Yeah, we don't know what you taught them. Right. So we can't say, I mean, even if this were a thing where it was, hey, you go through and you do every single thing step by step, and we had a you know, outline for it and you did everything. It's still not the curriculum that's accredited. It's the institution. Right. So we love this style. It has completely prepared our kids who are in the middle grades for high school and beyond. And it's awesome to watch how much they grow as they, you know, begin to read and write and learn more independently. We love teaching kids in the middle grades years it's fun to watch them blossom and they truly blossom with Layers of Learning. Thank you for joining us today. Come and visit us at layersoflearning.com on Instagram and in our Facebook group and make sure to tune in next month for a new podcast. We would also really love for you to leave us a rating or review to help other homeschool families find Layers of Learning. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool. Have fun learning.